0: At Red Barn, our pet food ingredients work overtime. They aren't just there for show. Dandelion greens work to maintain a healthy digestive system. Salmon oil works to enhance the immune system. Green-lipped mussels work to support joint health. These hard-working ingredients support your dog's active, healthy life. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Visit redbarninc.com coupon to save a dollar off your first can. Blog Talk Radio.
1: listening to Pop Health Week on the Blog Talk Radio and affiliate networks. This episode is brought to you by Health Innovation Media, monitoring and informing the journey to a sustainable healthcare economy. Welcome everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show, and in the virtual studio is my colleague Fred Goldstein,
2: principal co-host and co-founder of Pop Health Week. Hey Fred, Hello, Greg. It's beautiful here on the virtual East Coast. How are you doing out there?
1: The virtual (laughs) East Coast. Doing well here. As we are in San Diego, we say May Gray, June Gloom, so we just made that transition, but no complaints. For those of you not familiar with Fred, he's a veteran healthcare executive and president of Accountable Health LLC, a Jacksonville-based Florida consulting firm. And the past chair and current board member of the Population Health Alliance, he is known on Twitter as @fsgoldstein. F.S. Goldstein. Fred's experience spans hospital and health system administration, HMO general management, and is the founder of a disease management company. My background includes thought leadership and strategy consulting for hospitals, health systems, capitated medical groups, IPAs, and MSOs I publish and principally author, aclwatch.com, healthinnovationmedia.com, and most recently, precisionmedicine.center. Please follow me on Twitter via at2healthguru. Today, we continue coverage of issues in the emerging population health space, including evidence-based best practices with key thought leaders, innovators, academicians, and best-in-class vendors. Our special guest is the talented keynote speaker, mobile technologies, precision medicine, and population health expert, including health innovation media co-host and colleague, Douglas Goldstein, also known as the eFuturist. As a leading eFuturist, Doug's keynotes and workshops energize participants. He delivers actionable strategies on using emerging tech and ingenuity to improve health. Doug's a thought leader in mobile solutions, pop health, precision medicine. He guides audiences in the smart application of cognitive computing, social media, Internet of Things sensors, virtual and behavioral economics for improved outcomes. He hyper-customizes his talks to meet your learning objectives. Popular keynotes and workshops include Innovate Now, Smarter in Digital and DNA Doctoring Today, and Nano Doctoring Tomorrow. For 20 years, Doug has delivered to global leaders leaders in the life sciences, health system, health plan, government, and tech, and corporate sectors.
2: So with that introduction, Fred, over to you. Help us get to know Doug Goldstein. Thanks so much, Greg. And Doug, as always, it's great to talk to you and a pleasure to have you on the show today.
3: It's great to be here. And it's a sunny day in uh, Washington, D.C., and it's also part of uh, HHS's Office of National Coordinators Health IT three days. And uh, the morning session was on precision medicine.
2: Yeah, and I I am going to say we're going to spend a little time discussing precision medicine. So perhaps for those in our audience who may have maybe an inkling or not a whole lot of understanding of what precision medicine is, it's kind of new. Give us a little insight into that.
3: Precision medicine is the application of the genomics, which would include the genetic profile that somebody, but also their proteomes which includes the proteins and their actions. So the various omics, uh, many people think about our DNA profile, but that's sort of the foundation, but there's many more aspects to the omics relative to that. So precision medicine incorporates not just uh, genetics and the other omics like proteomics, it also includes user-generated data. And so the National Institutes on Health has a precision medicine initiative, and they want to collect over a million samples of DNA from volunteers. And in addition to that, in addition to gathering their genetic profile information, that they want to also gather in their electronic health record and then merge that with user-generated data and then blend that with environmental and social data to get a complete picture of all the four quadrants that are influencing human health quite an ambitious project and they're hoping to have 80,000 samples by the time President Obama leaves office.
2: Wow, that's pretty amazing. So, so I guess if, if you were to look at precision medicine and say, where, where does this sort of fit within pop health? I guess it's really like the ultimate stratification tool in a sense to, to individualize and, and stratify a person.
3: Correct, and it really comes down to the major applications of precision medicine today are really in cancer, so it's not just the genetic profile of the person but it's the genetic profile of the tumor and the tumor is very active in changing daily weekly so in order to precisely target cancer or generate the human body's immune response to target the cancer through various mechanisms, uh, cancer has a they're sneaky, right? It has a way of hiding in the body and hiding from our own immune system and our, our, our T cells. So precision medicine really is targeting to take science and really understand the, uh, the elements of that tumor cell and cancer or other conditions. Can- cancer is one of the mo- more focused area where precision medicine is having a significant impact. Um, but it also ties into what people eat, and, and really taking a holistic approach to a person as a person, not just a disease.
2: So, you know, a few years back, maybe if more than a few, there was this whole push, 23andMe, and all these, this whole idea that, hey, we're going to do these genetic tests. And I remember looking at it, and we had some experts come back then take a look at it, and it was too early. Has there been some pretty significant advances made now that make this much more usable?
3: Uh, Absolutely. You have one significant area, Dr. Goebbels, who's uh, now brought his thrombosis lab to the ANOVA Center for Personalized Health and the ANOVA Heart and Vascular Institute. Uh, He discovered the gene that a person has that determines whether Plavix, uh, a blood thinner, uh, works in you or not. So there are certainly, um, you know, that's pharmagenomics. There are certainly parts of our DNA and our profile that will determine whether drugs work within us or how we should be treated or how not should we be treated. Some, so every child now at the ANOVA health system that's born in ANOVA health system gets a pharmacogenomic test called Medimap. Now that test can determine drug sensitivity. So certain kids are very sensitive to codeine and it could be fatal. Um, and there's numerous other conditions that can be identified. And this begins building a lifetime profile of of pharmaceutical agents, uh, small molecule or large, that can work or not work in a person based on their genetic profile. But at the same time, we're more than our just genome. We we have a, a proteins. Proteins in the body do a lot of work. So that's the whole proteomics area. So what we've realized is that it's not just oh, uh, your G based on your genes, this is the treatment. That is true in certain conditions, but it's not true across all the conditions because we have multiple factors going on.
2: And wouldn't this tie back to some of the work of uh, Dr. Ornish with some of his diet recommendations where they've shown that that impacts the expression of various genes, turning them on or off based on what you're eating?
3: Uh, Absolutely, And, and your physical activity and the stresses you're under, and your social circumstances, and the kind of social support systems you have. And it all ties into the overall concept that you focus on is this is precision medicine is part of human health. It's part of population health, and that's really kind of your focus. So it's really part of this, how do we improve the health status of an individual, but an individual lives within the context of a community or a population. So just it's a kind of another, just like um, aspirin or all these things, precision medicine brings a whole set of new tools to target both chronic diseases and, and certainly uh, diseases like cancer and other conditions, lymphoma, et cetera.
2: So it sounds like, you know, based on this, I mean, there's a lot of different areas you just discussed where it's having real-world applications of this uh, technology and this science as we expand it out. What are some of the potential um, negatives or, or or issues with this. I'm thinking about things like privacy and stuff like that.
3: Well, privacy and security across is no matter what your health condition is. So whether you're um, – and then whether health insurance is a right or it's a product to be sold, and, you know, bought and sold. So regardless of the type of health data, whether it's your electronic health record data or your fitness data or your genomic information – it all needs to be treated in a way that's private and secure um, in this world of increasing interoperability and people demanding or choosing to have their health information so they can better manage their health and the health of their family.
2: You've been, you know, Doug, I know for the past year or so just immersing yourself into this area, you know, what you heard today, what you've sort of seen over the last couple of months as you've dug deeper and deeper into it, what do you find most exciting? What, where, where do you think there's some really cool stuff going on here?
3: Well, I'm really excited about the ability to make significant progress on diseases as complex and rapidly changing as cancer. Um, I've sat through several major life sciences companies, talked through their um, immunotherapy Which is how do we stimulate the immune system or use the immune system to really attack cancers? And when you talk about how they can, cancer has a way of camouflaging itself from our natural defenses. And when you hear them talk through the agents and their process and their progress in targeting specific types of cancer and then revealing that cancer through various interventions to our own body's ability to to attract it and keep it at bay it's it's fascinating so number one uh the science and the advances of science is is quite exciting and and encouraging as uh, you know and cancer in many cases is uh it's part of an aging population and with the baby boomers that have defined every component of our society for the last 60 year plus then uh, many of us boomers are moving into that uh, age of cancer, and um, we're going to demand progress, and that's really behind Pre- Vice President Biden's moonshot and President Obama's commitment to precision medicine. I mean, he's really been one of the most technology-adept presidents we've ever had, Both whether it's leveraging social media or getting behind this next generation of precision medicine to really adapt um, Address and attack conditions like cancer,
2: and as you as you talked about, it's really a, a, an area of precision medicine that's sort of a linking up of genomics, proteomics, lifestyle data, EHR data, et cetera. Um, so this has become really a big data initiative, I assume.
3: And it's beyond big data because it's really the analytics of those data sets and how do you make those how do you use analytics to process the data and present it to either me as this, uh, a citizen or a patient uh, differently than my doctors might want it presented and what information is definitely actionable. So your doctor doesn't want to see all your physical activity uh, information. Now, if you're recovering from a joint replacement or you know a bypass, there's clearly that information is much more important for your doctor to track your activity levels and in many conditions, whether it's joint replacement, 50% of a person's outcomes depends on what they do after surgery. Um, do they gain weight? Do they become sedentary? They're not going to have the same kind of outcomes. So this is an era in you know, precision medicine and this broader spectrum of you know, personalized health or population health really says how do we look at all these factors and really support people in um, having the kind of quality of life that they choose.
2: And when I think of what you were just talking about with this, okay, we've got all these different data sets. Are they actionable data sets? Have we analyzed it right? How do we present it to the doctor? How do we present it to the individual? Those are all, you know, in my mind opportunities for companies for space to step into or to develop a unique product in. Are you seeing a lot of obviously companies going after this?
3: Oh, there's a a huge, um, there's ecosystems of companies uh, in many major markets. So the uh, Washington, D.C. area example has an initiative called BioHealth Capital Region, and that's uh, really evolving to connect uh, Maryland, which has a very strong biotech corridor, with the work that uh, the Anova uh, Health, which has launched the Anova Center for Personalized Health, which is really looking at the integration of user-generated data with the HR data and and the OMIC data, to really improve individual and family and 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 quality of life health statuses for folks on a very proactive prevent the the watchword of that organization is predict and prevent, and so but creating a ecosystem of organizations whether they're major organizations like North of Grumman focused on precision medicine personalized health and and uh, so the involvement of this. Uh, biohealth ecosystem in the greater Washington, D.C. area is quite exciting and it will, in a year or two, rival uh, the Bostons and the uh, Silicon Valley in its efforts. So yes, we're seeing the development. And you know, the Washington, D.C. area has something that those other areas don't have. Uh, We have the NIH here, we have the National Institutes of Standards, uh, we have the federal agencies are our home here and the proximity Um, and it's interesting, there's I don't think this was part of their strategy, but AstraZeneca did acquire Metamune for primarily their pipeline of these biological um, agents and their work in precision medicine. Um, But there's a close – Metamune is, you know, literally seven miles from NIH and the 27 institutes that are part of NIH – so it's a quite interesting uh, opportunity to see the involvement of this biohealth ecosystem.
2: Yeah, it's fascinating, and especially, you know, when you think about from a technological approach and, you know, everything from the technology to actually do the test, to analyze the data, but also you're working with individuals. So I assume that, you know, somebody's got to be taught you know, are educated on how you discuss this information with your patient or with a nurse talking to, you know, a care management patient. So that's an opportunity I would assume for companies as well. It doesn't have to just be high tech, you know, in this space.
3: Oh, no, the whole challenge is there's not enough medical geneticists um, or counselors in that fact. So there's a huge uh, kind of work category for people who like, you know health and science and uh, are intellectually curious but don't necessarily want to be a doctor so there's this new whole category of uh, genetic counselors um or for that matter genetic user generated data counselors or this next generation of you know just overall it's it's at the beginning end of the day it's health so this but it is complex so different people have different preferences uh if there's if If I do my genetic profile and there's things that I can do that decreases my risk of Alzheimer's through eating, diet and exercise, I want to know that. But if I'm at risk of a condition that there's no intervention for today, just don't tell me, you know, just tell me everything's fine and let me deal with it down the road. That's my preference. But Fred, you could feel differently. And Greg could feel differently in terms of how they want to handle that data.
2: Sure. The, um, you, you put a couple of tweets out this morning from the conference on your at, at eFuturist, and um, I, I've got one in front. I was looking at the priorities of the NIH Precision Medicine Cohort Program. And, you know, me, I'm always tend to see something and say, well, how are they going to do that? Or there's a problem with that. So the first one listed is reduced disparities. But I'm thinking to myself, if this is around getting genetic screenings and proteomic screenings, and it's around monitoring on you know, wearables and all of that stuff. How are we gonna get that? How, is, how are we able to reduce disparities? I would assume that this project in essence almost is increasing them in a sense based on who has access to those types of tests or wearables, et cetera. I, I would I would think you're probably not seeing as much in Medicaid.
3: Well, the interesting thing is the challenge of disparities people who have less mobility or less disadvantage to go to, you know, there will be seven enrollment centers, but there is this little company that's grown rapidly called Uber, and there is an Uber of phlebotomy. So there are um, services out there, and this company is called Igbo, and uh, it's I-G-G-B-O, and they actually have mobile phlebotomists. They could send it out to a a disadvantaged Indian reservation or, uh, you know, uh, any place somebody that would want to participate and share in their DNA to further science and human health. Um, now, what, whether they're participating in any of the initiatives there, but there are mechanisms to, and, and all the enrollment centers will be charged to, you know, reduce disparities and and it's actually a major movement of the FDA also to basically encourage pharma, life sciences companies not to do their clinical trials on Caucasian males. So mm-hmm. uh, there are definitely both technology tools and companies out there um, and priorities, so reduce disparities. There's a number of initiatives that I'm aware of that could uh, address that and help you know, VA achieve that directive. I mean, the interesting thing is, or not VA, but uh, NIH and the Precision Medicine Initiative. The interesting thing is the VA wants to have 70,000 genetic profile samples of whole genomes by the time President Obama leaves office. But the Veterans Health Administration already has 460,000 DNA profiles of our veterans, which is a diverse pool. And wow. um, so, yeah, we're and, – and ANOVA has a very interesting reference genome of nearly 10,000 uh, children, and the first DNA draw is in vitro, uh, mother, father, and siblings, and now grandparents. And there's over 100 different birth ancestry countries represented in this, and in essence, uh, it's a reference genome. So, for instance, Boston Children's has exomes on 120 children who died of SIDS. You can't determine whether a drug, chemical, or uh, biological agent is, is, is effective unless you have a control group. Well, the same thing is in terms of trying to sift through You know, terabytes of data of profile in terms of a genome, or how do you how do you find what might be actionable, or is there something genetically that caused these kids to die of of SIDS? But Anova has this reference genome, and there's a discussion between principal investigators about the potential of helping Boston Children's uh, identify a genetic uh, gene or biomarker that would uh, affect that you could predict. And and potentially prevent. So, by understanding whether a disease has a genetic origin and how that uh, factors is uh, a key to predicting and preventing and and saving lives.
2: Yeah, you talked about these data sets that are out there. Are are they linking those up? Is there an effort to do that now?
3: Well, they're clear, is there's, uh, yeah, so between various uh, investigators and you know, both VA and NIH and the federal government is seeking to have an open data um, so data can be shared selectively across researchers. and through the power of of you know, the, just the size of those databases, it will help in identifying uh, strategies and tactics and and uh, biomarkers and and other factors that can help improve identify, conditions early and treat them early or figure out how to prevent them.
2: That's fantastic. Also, one of the things on this slide was people as partners, you know, to engage are, can, can people say, I want to be part of this project now and submit their data somehow, or is that something down the road or what are they looking at in that area?
3: Well, it's actually um, NIH is targeting the fall. So they're finalizing um, their selections of the, uh, There's four, so they're gonna have seven enrollment centers where people can donate their DNA. There will be one selection of a mobile participant technology center that will guide people to the enrollment centers and obtain basic consents. There's a biobank that they just awarded to the Mayo Clinic, so there's a place that the samples people share will be stored. And there's a coordinating center whose overall responsibility is to manage the biobank, the enrollment centers, and this mobile technology, um, you know, through the web, through the phone, or through an app uh, interaction so that people can consent to participate in that. And that, the target is to have that up in September, October.
2: Well, wow, that will that'll really be cool. And I, I assume that will be something up on uh, one of the, the HHS website or something like that?
3: Correct. And then announced publicly? Right. And so the, the big challenge whether it's for less so for VA but certainly for NIH it's moving into a it's generally been a research organization that got data that researchers pulled in and they provided findings and then they published. Rarely would someone who shared their information or was part of a study would have any information back. This is the the National Institutes of Health Precision Medicine Initiative is designed to be a bi directional Um, two-way street. So people share their genetic information and then they share their user generated information and they live in Kentucky or Virginia or wherever they live. That information, the objective is to consolidate that and communicate it back to the person or the family um, so that they can take that information real time to improve their lives.
2: Wow, so it's not just as you said there it's not just a one time thing where you're giving your data, but they're going to also take in these other data sets like wearable information, et cetera as part of the project so if you think ongoing. About,
3: right so ANOVA so if you think about the framing Hent study that's tracked people for mm-hmm. thirty plus years uh gathering their physiological information over time, that's a longitudinal study um, so ANOVA's established this uh, longitudinal study with ten thousand mother, father, and children, now grandparents. What NIH wants to do is establish a cohort of a million Americans, very diverse representation of the population, um, and have a logit- the next generation Framingham study for longitudinal analysis and comparisons, but also communicating information back to the participants so they can improve their health and health status uh, real time.
2: Wow. Yeah, this, I mean, um, we're, we're coming up on about three minutes or so, and there's just so much here. You're just a wealth of information, uh, Doug, and I just uh, wish we could go on longer. As, as people want to learn more, obviously, they could reach out to you um, through Twitter, etc. Um, are there places you would tell people to go take a look at to get some background on this?
3: I think that you can start with, you know, is very simple. You know, if people are interested, you can start with an Ancestry.com. They have a DNA test. People can do a 23andMe. Now, many of these are not. They're the kind of the health side of things. Where do I come from? So there's a way to get started, sort of the baby steps of really understanding the power of understanding your ancestry or your DNA. And then, you know, if you really think you have a condition that could be influenced uh, by your genetic profile, then you've got to sit down and talk to your doctor or you've got to, you know, contact organizations like ANOVA, ANOVA Health System uh, in the Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. area that are really on the forefront of integrating the omics, the genetics, into the care and treatment of the people that they see at their uh, health system.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, as, as I look at this, I know a couple of months back, or maybe it was a year ago, there was somebody who wrote, you know, there's this there's this separation between population health and precision medicine. And we've always discussed it, but I really see precision medicine as dovetailing to be sort of the ultimate um, stratification and assessment tool so that you can target an individual with the appropriate intervention, even better narrowly focused on what they specifically need. Is that sort of how you see that?
3: Absolutely. Uh, Precision medicine is, part of achieving better population health, just like cardiac surgery is. So Mm -hmm. we have, you know, we have, we develop better and better tools to do cardiac surgery. Uh, I'm working with a physician that is doing minimally invasive lung resections and basically patients walk into the uh, uh, surgery room they lose part of their lung, and they walk out because it's minimally invasive. It's really incredible. So these kinds of advances, we don't say, oh, is that part of population health or not? No, it's we're constantly figuring out how to improve things. And if people want to, you know, hear more about the intersection that I'm doing with digital and DNA and, and nanotechnology, they can, you know, reach out to me at, at Doug at efuturist.net. That's efuturist.net. They can always call me, 703-626-0798. They can text me, and um, we can uh, figure out how to help move people forward through keynote talks or workshops.
2: Well, fantastic. Thanks so much. Uh, We're going to have to get you back on because it's a great topic, and you just had a wealth of information. Back to you, Greg.
1: Wow, there you have it. That will have to be the last word for today's broadcast, a rather action-packed, information-full broadcast. I want to thank our special guest, Douglas Goldstein, for his time and insights today. Do follow Doug on Twitter via at eFuturist and check him out on the web at www.eFuturist.net until we meet again on Pop Health Week. For Fred Goldstein and Douglas Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying bye now.
0: Canyon University is Arizona's premier private Christian university committed to providing next generation education for students who want to make a difference in the 21st century workforce. GCU offers more than 190 academic programs in high demand fields across nine distinct colleges, including our prestigious GCU Honors College. Earn your degree online, in the evening, or on our vibrant Phoenix campus. Fast track options and academic scholarships still available with no out-of-state tuition. Visit gcu.edu. Grand Canyon University is Arizona's premier private Christian university committed to providing next generation education for students who want to make a difference in the 21st century workforce. GCU offers more than 190 academic programs in high demand fields across nine distinct colleges, including our prestigious GCU Honors College. Earn your degree online, in the evening, or on our vibrant Phoenix campus. Fast track options and academic scholarships still available with no out of state tuition. Visit gcu.edu.